Amen. Good to see everyone. I don't know whether I'll be the first or the last. I'm probably the last to say Happy New Year. Thank you for those two people that responded. That was delightful. How sweet of you. That's kind. For the rest of you, I trust that God will bless you anyway. So when I think about 2020 becoming 2021, I think about this century coming of age. The century really had a very difficult start, did it not? 2001, 9-11 was a very shaky beginning. And then in those early childhood years of 2008, we learned what want and scarcity was about when we encountered the global recession. And then, thinking that everything was great, our college years was framed by a pandemic. But we've come out of those college years, or maybe just completing those college years, and we encounter 2021. We can decide that this difficult century can be the basis of a deeper character. We can decide that this century can be the basis of a much larger and deeper maturity. Or we can choose to allow ourselves to be dominated by these great global events that have struck to the very heart of us. I wonder which one you're going to go for. For me personally, maybe because my life, because of my age, is not defined by this century, and I understand that for many of you, your life is defined by this century because of your age. Maybe because my life is not defined by this century, I don't find myself feeling dictated by the terms that this century has offered. Well, whether you're defined by this century by your age or not, my encouragement to you at the beginning of this year is not to be defined by the century so far, but be defined by the prospect, the possibility, the opportunity of stepping into your destiny as God has deepened your character, shaped your identity, grown your maturity, so that you can take your place to change this century and change this world. And it's with that in mind that I'd like to read just the first few verses of the book that we'll be studying this year, The Acts of the Apostles. It begins in a way reminiscent of the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The very first verse is where I'd like to stay. I'd like to camp there today. In my former book, Theophilus, He's writing to someone who is either known as a nickname, 
as a friend of God, Theophilus. It's a lover of God, but it's a kind of love that is a friendship love. One who walks with God, one who, one who partners with God, one who enjoys God's presence. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that an interesting way to begin a book? All that Jesus began to do and teach. Clearly, Luke is writing with two volumes in mind. The first volume, obviously, has a central character. The central character is Jesus. And Jesus is revealed as the one who embodies who embodies the good news that God wants to proclaim to all people. He comes out of the wilderness, having gone into the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry, with the words of his father ringing in his ear, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am very pleased. He walks into the desert, confronts the enemy of humanity overcomes the temptations and in Luke chapter 4 verse 14 we see him step from the wilderness into Galilee and the scripture tells us Luke tells us he was full of the power of the spirit and so he comes to Nazareth and just in a a few verses later he steps into the synagogue and declares as he reads from the scroll of of Isaiah, he says, the spirit, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. And in the demonstration and in the proclamation of the good news, Jesus embodies what living good news looks like. We know what the good news is because we can look to Jesus. We can look to Jesus and and all that he said and did. We can can look to his, his expression, articulation, the embodiment of what it is that God wanted to say to each one of us. But it was only a beginning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. There's a principal character of the first volume. And it's the same character that is the principal character of the second volume. Jesus begins to do something in the first volume. And he continues to do something in the second volume. This is an amazing thought. Luke is a great mind. Luke is a powerful selector of vocabulary. He would not use words casually. He says that Jesus began to do something in the first part of the story. And obviously... He continues to do it in the second part of the story. But Jesus' physical presence is no longer recognized after the first chapter. So how can Jesus continue to do the thing that he began? 
clearly, the only way that we can understand this is that he continues it, the work that he began through his disciples. Jesus began the work in, in the manifestation of good news that was so evident in his own life. Jesus continues the manifestation of the good work of, of all that God wants to reveal as good news in his disciples, both then and now. Jesus has begun a good work. The question for you and the question for me is, does he have a recipient in whom he can continue the good work? Does he have a recipient in whom he can continue the declaration, the demonstration of the good news? Well, let's look more closely at what this might mean. Let's just uh, pick apart what Luke says here in the first verse of this remarkable book that we will enter in these coming weeks. Jesus began to do something. We saw that. And it says, he began to do and to teach. The word do, poie, and the word teach, didache, have a particular meaning. They have a, a particular way in which they create a word picture in the minds of the first recipients. And perhaps that word picture is lost to us today because we're, we're unclear, we're uncertain as to what it is that these words originally meant. The word to do in this context and with this particular word, the word to do means to construct, to prepare, to appoint. So Jesus has come to construct something. The doing is, is not a just random activity. It is intentional, planned activity. It is, it is an intentionality that, that constructs something. The profession that Jesus, of course, was part of as a younger man was the profession of the tecton, translated by the first translators of the English translation of the Bible as carpenter, unfortunately because it's not really a very good rendering of the word tecton. Peter, my friend here, is a tecton. There are several tectons in the congregation. A tecton is a person with an engineering bent who builds buildings, usually homes. Jesus says to Peter, you are now part of my identity. I'm the big rock, you're the little rock. And on this rock, I will build, I will construct. I will intentionally develop, produce something 
that the world will know as my gathered people, I will build my church. What is it that Jesus came to do? Jesus came to construct something. And the question for you and I is twofold. Are we living in what it is that Jesus has already constructed? And because it's a work that he began to do and now continues to do, are we prepared to be part of the continuing construction Peter, who heard those words for the very first time in Caesarea Philippi, says this, All you, like living stones, are being built together to form a new house. Is that something that you're ready for? Is that something that you're available for? Is that something that you're deciding at the beginning of this new year? To settle your heart upon. Jesus began to do something when he was here. He continued to do that something in the first disciples. And this day he continues to do it even among us. And the question is, are we willing willing recipients of what it is that he has constructed? and willing participants of what it is that he wants to build. Or perhaps you've heard the message of individualism. And perhaps you want to receive what has now just generically been described content on a Sunday. Maybe you just want to be at home or online or here in the gathering space, just hear a good message, have an encouraging word during the worship, and then continue and do little more than seek to apply that to yourself individually. But Jesus is doing something different. He's doing something bigger than just you. I know it's amazing. I know it's shocking, but you're not the center of the universe. Your ministry is not the center of the universe. And neither is the ministry of this church. God is doing a great thing through Jesus. And it becomes more evident the more that people receive and participate in what it is that he's doing. And so at the beginning of the new year, ask yourself, am I prepared to be the recipient of the living good news that is in Jesus, that is constructing something that is marvelous to behold? And am I a willing participant in what it is that he continues to construct? In this world, this world that is so obviously built on foundations that are easily shaken. And yet Jesus is building something upon which and with which we can so clearly see he is able to build without the fear of shaking, without, without the fear 
of, of stumbling, without the fear of deconstruction. The writer to the Hebrews puts this, he puts it in this way, he says, God is shaking all things so that what is unshakable may be revealed. Let me ask you, is the megachurch unshakable? Well, ask the pastors that have been going through the pandemic. Ask some of my friends who are deeply depressed. Is the megachurch the pandemic? Proof, evidence that God is building something that's unshakable? Is it pandemic proof? No, it isn't, is it? And yet, Jesus is building something. And perhaps we've got our eyes on something that we thought he was building and has now been shaken to the very ground. If ever there was a reality that revealed that the church in America had been building on sand. Surely it's the pandemic. Where is everybody? Where is the church? The the best analyses that are being offered by great minds who look at the trends in our world suggest that at least... 20% of churches in America will close because of the pandemic. Is that something that Jesus built? It's impossible that that could be something that Jesus built. Because he said he will build his church and the gates of what? COVID-19? The gates of what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, how come we have suffered so badly at the hands of a virus? What is it that Jesus is building? What is it that he's calling you to be part of? What is it that he's calling you to participate in? Look at what it is that has survived and say to yourself, surely this is something that is a work of God. Our household, it survived great. In fact, it's anti-fragile, our household. We meet on a Sunday afternoon, we gather on Zoom or in our home, we ask two very basic questions, how are you doing? Everybody tells us how they're doing, sometimes they're doing good, sometimes they're not, some people have had COVID, some people haven't. It's been the normal story of everybody else's life. So we share about that and we listen to that and we turn that into prayer at the end of the meeting and then we simply say, what is it that God has said to you during the worship and word today? That's all we do. 
And you say, well, it's a, it's a bit thin, isn't it, Mike? It's not, it's not very deep. But it survived better than a lot of big megachurches that aren't open right now and aren't going to be open for a long time. In fact, it's prospered. People have joined it. People are growing. People are developing in their faith. Are you kidding me? Something as simple as that, that couldn't be Jesus. Jesus does complicated things, doesn't he? I mean, it's not a detailed exposition of a a goat being boiled in its mother's milk in Leviticus. I mean, surely we need to understand what that means, don't we? What is that? Wouldn't that help our faith? What is it that Jesus is doing? Well, look around and ask yourself, what survived? What grew? What developed and prospered and bore fruit? That's what Jesus is building. What about teaching? All that Jesus began to do and teach. The word didache, we, we assume that what I'm doing right now is teaching. Well, in some degree it is, but because of the way that our Western minds have been developed over the last two or three hundred years, we have removed one of the essential components of what it means to teach. Because in the time of Jesus, teaching meant discourse to instruct. Discourse. Conversation. To construct. And the word is instruct. And so, and so there is something that Jesus is constructing and something that Jesus is instructing. And the instruction comes through discourse. That's what the word picture means. And so this is fine. And I know that there's a discourse going on. It's just that you can only hear my side of the conversation. I mean, sometimes you're going, that's a good point. And a lot of times you're going, it's just going on a bit too long. And then other times you're thinking, man, he's so weird, that English guy. And then, other, you know, there's all kinds of other things going on. There's a conversation occurring right now. But you can only hear half of it. That discourse was, was extroverted in the time of Jesus. There was conversation. If there is no place in your life where there is discourse about what God is doing, then you're probably not being instructed. Again, I know that all of us in the West believe that somehow what happens inside our own head silently in our own thoughts is what's the most important thing, but it isn't. 
We need discourse. We need conversation. We need connection to, to be able to reason out and to understand and to get to a point of, of God instructing us. So Jesus is constructing and instructing. And how would it all happen? How, how, does it all, how does it all emerge in our lives? What would it be like if Jesus was to construct living good news? What would it be like for Jesus to instruct us in being that good news? What would it look like? Well, of course, we have to look at the life of Jesus because in the first volume, we see what it is that he began to do. And what he began to do was something that was so clearly evident in his own life. When people's lives were so full of insecurity, it was quite obvious That Jesus was very secure. He embodied good news. Have you been around some people in these last months who make you feel secure just by being with them? Do you know what I mean? You just hang around them and you think, "They they don't seem to be worried like everybody else. Is it because they're crazy? Or is there something else going on? What is that? What is that? What is that presence? What is that? What is that intangible thing about them? Jesus was amazingly secure. And as we see the story unfolded in his disciples, you'll see that even in the midst of terrible opposition, the disciples of Jesus were incredibly secure. Is that something you you want? Do you want that? We want to be secure. But as long as we stay there, then of course we can stay in our own little world. But, But there's something else about Jesus as well. He's not just secure in himself. He's sensitive to the needs of others. He's walking through a crowd and a woman, desperate, spent all of her money on doctors who can't help her, reaches out and touches the very hem of his, of his clothing, believing that maybe by this she will be healed. And she's healed. And she can feel the healing inside of her and the hemorrhaging stop. And she's just overwhelmed with the presence of God. And, and, and Jesus feels power going from him. That's what Luke says. Jesus feels power going from him. Who touched me, he said. Peter says, Lord, it's a crowd of people. What are you talking about? No, somebody touched me because I felt power going from me. Wouldn't you love to be the continuation of that story? Jesus began to do that in the first. And in the second part, there was a continuation of that. Peter is walking through the crowds and the crowds are being healed by the shadow that he cast. Jesus says, because you believe in me, you will do greater things. No one was ever healed by the shadow of Jesus. 
The greater things were the things that the disciples saw because Jesus was continuing, was continuing the construction, was continuing the instruction, was continuing to express the living good news through his living body, the church. Jesus was secure, he was sensitive. And even though people thought that he was weak, he was strong. He was the living good news. Wasn't he? I was in one of my favorite coffee shops, one that's open. That's always my favorite. And, um, and I'm, I'm in the, you know, my favorite coffee shop, and obviously I'm socially distanced from the whole world like the rest of us are. One of the, um, one of the owners comes to me and says, um, can, you, can you give me something to write on my wall? I mean, it's the weirdest way to begin a conversation, isn't it? I mean, I bet you I've not spoken more than, I'll have an oat milk latte, please. Oh, and by the people behind me, whatever they want. Or, you know, hardly, I mean, hardly anything. And so, they don't know who I am. I talk to them about what's in a, what's in a matter latte. I mean, I, I ask them all kinds of stuff. But I, I don't, they don't know me. I don't really know their names. I think one of them may know their name. She comes up to me. She says, could you give me something to write on my wall? I said, excuse me. She said, I want a message. I want a message for my wall for the new year. I said, are you asking everybody this? She said, no. She said, you're, you're, a, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, give me a minute. I said, Lord, you better come up with something really good. Because this is awesome. And so I'm racking my brain and I just said, Lord, what, what is it? Weeping may remain for a night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may remain for a night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. She said, that's exactly what I want. I'm going I'm to get a paintbrush. I'm going to paint it on the wall. It was one of those moments when you go away thinking, okay, I don't even know, what was that? I don't even know what that was. I've never shared the gospel with, I've never, never done any of that stuff. But you see, 
People know if you embody good news. They know. Jesus began to do it. And then he continued to do it in his disciples. And he wants to continue to do it today. Are you secure and sensitive and strong even though you're weak? Or are you anxious, angry, antisocial? I I don't know. You'll have to decide on that one. What else? Well, of course, it's one thing to live it, but are we going to say it? Is there a way that we can get beyond just living it and, and incarnating the good news? Is there a way that we can get beyond it being our presence to our proclamation? Is there a way in which it can be more than what we be and be something that we do? Well, of course, we have to go back to Jesus. And when we see what Jesus began to do and teach, we know that he embodied the good news. But we also know that he articulated the good news. And the way that he articulated the good news was so evident, so clear, that as he articulated the good news, so it became the message of his disciples and the people who call him Lord. The things that Jesus was always doing worship. Jesus, Luke tells us, would often be found in lonely places to pray. Would often be found. Often. Jesus, the Son of God, he doesn't need to do stuff like that. But he would often be found, Luke 5, 17, would often be found in lonely places. He, he, he got away. He, he spent time with his father. It's amazing. When you follow the track of Jesus' retreat, it's so clear that after the retreat, there is an empowering and a breaking through of the kingdom. Jesus would do the work of worship. Of course, Jesus would continue to walk with his disciples. The idea of discipleship is based on the idea of following. Following is based on the idea of walking alongside. Walking alongside is what the Old Testament means by being in relationship with God. You walk with God. You follow Jesus. You walk in the power of the Spirit. That's the arc of the narrative of the entire Bible. And so today, we're called, of course, to worship. Today, we are, of course, called to walk with Jesus. But we are also called to walk with others, particularly those who stumble and shamble through life, unable to find their way. Will you walk alongside them and give them a hand? 
a help, a direction, a hope. Because, of course, the thing that Jesus began to construct and instruct was that he would, of course, worship. He would always be walking with his disciples, but he always gave testimony. It's difficult to find ways to share testimony without it being clunky. And so Jesus gave us a methodology. He said, you need to look for a particular kind of person who likes you, who listens to you, who serves you. We're going to call it the person of peace. A friend of mine within the congregation met a young African-American artist and scholar. This member of the congregation introduced me to this young man. We had a great conversation. I interviewed him for a series on Instagram of local people who are interesting and illustrative of, of what it is that's going on in the city. At the end of that interview... I used the invitation that Dale Stevenson gave us for the Discovery Bible method. Do you remember? I've been thinking about reading the Bible. And I've been looking for someone to read it with. Would you be interested in that? This young African-American artist and scholar said, I'd love that. When do we start? I said, well you want I said is there a particular book that you'd like to study he said immediately I want to study Ecclesiastes I said okay I don't think I can find the Roman road in Ecclesiastes but that'll be good yeah let's try there Ecclesiastes. I said generally what we do is we we kind of read 10 verses and we just kind of decide what it is that we think is the main point, and then we spend maybe a bit of time in quiet just reflecting on that, and we have a conversation. He said, oh, it sounds great. He said, can we, can we use that weird translation? I said, okay, I, I, which is the weird translation? He said, the one that was written by the poet. I said, you mean the message version? He said, yeah, that's it. So that's what we do every week. Last time, he said, he said, this guy, this, this guy in the message, the, the preacher, the teacher, Koholeth in Hebrew, the one who is the instructor in Ecclesiastes, in the message is called the quester, typical of the message, it's brilliant. He, he said to me, he said, this quester, dude, he... he He's a bit like that son in the story that Jesus told, isn't he? I said, which one's that? He said, you know, the one who kind of got everything and then went off and spent it all and then realized that he'd been focusing on the, on the gift and not the giver. And I said, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Amazing. The theme for this year is living good news. We're going to learn this year what it means to live the good news. 
We're going to learn this year what it means to be part of the thing that Jesus is constructing and instructing. We're going to learn this year as we follow the footsteps of the first disciples through the Acts of the Apostles what it means to be part of it all. And as we do that, I believe that our sense of presence amongst our friends and family and community will grow. And I believe that as we learn that, our opportunities for proclamation will increase. And we'll learn as a congregation how to do this Discovery Bible method. And my belief is that we'll see many people come to know the Lord and be baptized. Certainly that's my prayer. So as we face this new year, and as the century comes of age, and we move from 20 to 21, let's decide that this year is the year that we come of age. That we stand up and become mature believers, mature congregation, mature community of faith. And in that maturity... Let's take on our destiny and change this sad and lonely world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the living good news. And so we come to you, Lord, knowing that the world needs you. We come to you, Lord, knowing that you've begun a good work but that you want to continue it in us and through us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, do the thing that you've always done and walk with us and show us. Lord, we pray that you would, in us, find material for the construction. You'd find in us students for the instruction. And we pray, Lord, that in us you would find those who you can mature to stand up and change this world so that more people know the good news, so that more people know you and can be found in you. And Jesus, we pray it for your glory and in your name.